Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics, authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas. Not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators. That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk. Hello, my name's John Schaefer, and I'm here today with Stephen Yu, manager of the Blue Whale Growth Fund. Stephen, thank you so much for joining me today. Like most growth-focused managers, you've had a pretty tough year in 2022. Are there reasons to be optimistic this year? Yeah, we reflected on the performance last year, which was definitely quite a disappointing year for us out of the five years that we've been running the fund. But if we break down the performance of the fund into first half and the second half, is most of the underperformance was really down to the first half or the negative performance in the first half of last year. And when we look at the second half of last year, the market and us, we were actually up a few percent. And of course, I mean, year to date, only a couple of days in, that it seems like maybe we have seen the worst. So, so I think on a light-for-light light basis, what we might expect in 2023 is like, if not better, like it would be less worse because we had the interest rate going up very quickly last year. So this year is unlikely to repeat that. We would still expect some interest rate to go up. We're not going to have a repeat of what happened in Ukraine. I mean, hopefully get resolved soon. And there are a couple of things that that happened last year is just not going to be repeated. Of course, we might have a recession of some sort, but if you invest into very high quality businesses, then you should be fine over the next coming years. And if there is a recession, what companies in your portfolio are you looking to drop? So we already have made all the changes that we did uh, last year that we exited most companies that are quite a consumer discretionary sensitive, including some tech names like Google, Amazon, or even Facebook. Like if anything that's basically related to discretionary spend, spend from consumer, you would expect that given inflation is quite high or interest rate or mortgage rate being quite high, energy bills and all that stuff, they would just have less money to spend on. So it's not just about, oh, you, you get out from the high street retailers because on a life for life basis, a tech company would have the same dynamics. And what you want to do is to, to stay with company that either would not be impacted in terms of a recession or not as much. And then secondly, the business model is very high quality, like recurring revenue stream, like the free cash flow generation is very high. And definitely you don't want to invest in any company that are highly indebted as well. You said in a recent fact sheet commentary that you're investing in sectors that you wouldn't have considered before. Has your belief in growth equity waned then? We always have this bar on quality that we want to invest into high quality businesses and an attractive price. So that is the kind of philosophy of the fund. And, and so when we look at any company or sector, we would start off with the quality of the quality of the free cash flow generation of this company as, as in terms of the trajectory in the next couple of years. And something has changed since I think what happened in Ukraine last year, that we believe that the energy market could be quite well supported at a high level compared to the previous cycle. And of course, you need to be very selective in terms of what energy company you invest into, but if you can go into a company that is very high quality and the free cash flow stream is very certain or relatively more certain than other company that might be facing some headwinds, let's say a recession or something, and then they, they are just able to deliver higher free cash flow back to shareholders. And, and so that is something that we, 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 we kept an open mind this last year and then we started look to look 
for new sectors and the energy market came up. In your latest fact sheet said that you had a 4.1% allocation to energy and which stocks have you been buying into? We started a journey sometime last year in Q4 that we got into this uh, Canadian company called Canadian Natural Resources and so basically what they do, I mean the company has been around for years and what they do is they have a very low cost of production in terms of oil it's like sub $40 per barrel so that's a good point, good, good starting point. And then secondly, they have a very long lease of reserve that they have, which is over 40 years. So which means that in terms of the new CapEx uh, capital expenditure, that they don't need to spend more money to invest. They could just run down whatever the reserve they have. Of course, they will make some acquisition or investment, but that's not going to be like a major part of the story. And then thirdly, like if you look at uh, Canadian energy company, they are relatively ESG friendly which is something that we do consider, of course. I mean, they would not be as ESG-friendly as like a software company, but then relatively they are on the high end of the spectrum. How exactly are they ESG-friendly? So they, they are on a higher spectrum in terms of what they do, that they, they want to decarbonize as much as they can. They improve the technology. They have set out the like a 10-year, 20-year framework to, to basically to reduce their carbon footprint. And so in, in the next coming years, I mean, I mean the, the one thing about the energy space is it, it would be impossible, I, I think, in, in the world that we don't need any oil and gas forever. If they're trying to reduce their carbon footprint, does that not affect the growth prospect? No, in terms of reducing the carbon footprint, it's not, not producing oil or not producing the asset, uh, utilising the asset, but it's utilising the asset in a more efficient manner. So at the moment, there's many things that is in the industry is not very productive as, as in like in any new buildings now in, in, in the UK, you would have all this uh, insulation that you don't need to use a lot more heating so that that would make the building very energy efficient. But it would be the same thing for, the in, for any industries in terms of very traditional like industrial company, energy company or even mining company. Like it's just the way that it, this is going to progress and hopefully at some point that they would come to come to a point that it they could still produce the 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 product they produce but then it's going to be a bit more ESG friendly to the world. So why Canadian natural resources over the likes of Shell, BP or, or even ExxonMobil or Total? The the thing is, I mean we we've done a lot of work on this and it's it's a bit similar to the way that we think about tech companies as well. I, I think you might recall that over the last couple of years that we have been very selective on certain names that we end up with the portfolio and there's many names that have probably done a lot better like Tesla during twenty twenty or twenty twenty one, but we never owned Tesla or Netflix at the time. And that's the same thing with the energy market. There are many companies in the space and I'm sure if you do believe that the oil price would go up a lot higher from here, all the company would benefit. It's just a magnitude of that benefit. But then for us, it's about the quality of the company as a starting point. So despite that we, 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 we don't need, I mean, in a, in a model that we don't need the oil price to go up, that they could still sustain the level of free cash flow that they generate. And so you're looking at the balance sheet strength, you're looking at the quality of the asset, which is predominantly in, in North America rather than in certain probably more challenging markets or, or regions. And at the same time, the management team who's been running the company for years, the track record has been very consistent. The, the cash flow return to shareholders has been very consistent. And of course, then you have to look at the government regulations, whether they're going to be a headwind or tailwind. As far as Canada is concerned, I think they're in a good place to be. So, they, so at the moment, as far as we know that we don't, they don't have the, the tax potentially going to be imposed on the energy company like we have in here or in Europe or maybe in the US. You're investing in energy companies, industrials. Some might say this is a bit of a style shift. How do you respond to that? We want to 
find the best ideas that could benefit in the coming years that would take a bigger share of the world GDP, which means that they would grow and have more money being spent in the industry or in the in those companies, the products or services that companies produce. In terms of the energy market, I mean, energy market has been around for years, but you wouldn't have, we wouldn't have managed to deliver the level of return that we did if we have owned all this company that we, we just talk about that we are owning now. You would rather own PayPal, Facebook, or like Amazon, they would have done so much better. So we, we run a high conviction portfolio, we want to get the best 25 to 35 ideas, and that's the area that we identified. But now, because of the shift in geopolitics and the world order, that we have exited many of these names, which we no longer own, the fangs, like we don't have any more fangs. And then, then of course, we, we want to consider new opportunities, and we see that these are the new opportunities, and they could take a bigger share of the world GDP in the next five years. Like that will be more reshoring, like we will be paying a higher energy bill, like we will have less money to spend on Amazon, for example. The companies that you're looking at here, they're, they're not traditional growth companies. Do you think perhaps you would have named the fund differently? How do you open it now? The way that we define ourselves is we, we will probably, I think some people will categorize us as quality growth. So quality is still the, the beat that we care about, like good management team, competitive positioning, strong balance sheet, high return on investor capital and all that stuff like that has not changed so that is like the overriding theme that we would only invest into this like we are very selective and of course then the other side of that which is the growth part is we want this company to take a bigger share of the world gdp in the next five years so we're sitting here now with a, a blank piece of paper and then we think about in 2028 which sectors or company are going to take a bigger share. And five years ago, those companies would be the tech-related company, which they did. And now we, we would, there's a lot of our day-to-day -day are now linked to the company that we spoke with, like Amazon or even Microsoft, that we spend a lot more time with these, these products and services. But in the next five years, I think a lot more money are going to, into these areas. But then the other thing which is important though, that is, it's not like we're changing the fund completely. Like if you look at our top 10 holdings, like. Like or, or including stocks that are not in our top 10, like two-thirds of the fund remain the same. We're still backing NVIDIA, we back ASML, we, we back Microsoft, we back quite Viva, which is a software company. And so we have many names that we are sticking with because we don't think there's any changes in the underlying fundamentals. But for the company that we exited, we do think there's some structural headwinds they're going to face in the next coming years. I'm sure you've seen recently Terry Smith exited PayPal. Um, you, you did the same beginning of last year, I, I believe so. Um, he also exited uh, Intuit, and you've still got Intuit in your portfolio, I believe, although it doesn't seem to be in your top 10 anymore. Um, could that be next on, on your hit list? It's an interesting one, of course. I, I can't comment on what Fundsmith is doing with the fund, but what something that we've noticed is he, he, he started going into Amazon in Q4 last year, and then we exited Amazon in December last year, and then we started to exit, uh, I mean, we exited both Facebook and PayPal in January or February last year, and then we exited Google uh, during the summer, and then he got into Google, I think, just or Adobe during that period of time, and then since then we have been reducing our position in Adobe, we still have a position in Adobe. Intuit is, is something different that we see that the quality of the business is pretty good because it's very sticky, it's, it's basically have two parts to the business. One is tax filing in the US that you, you pay a software provider unlike in the UK that you go to an HMLC website. And, and that is very sticky money. That's like 50% of the, the business is in tax filing, which is basically 
it's very high certainty of people going to file their taxes. If that money is so sticky, why was its share price down more than 30% last year? There's a big difference between how you coin, how you term the share price reset as permanent loss of capital, which means like basically they were way overvalued for what it is. The fundamentals are quite weak. I think Tesla would be a good example. Like if you ask me to make a bet, is Tesla going to ever see them going back to a $1 trillion company, which they did peak at 1.2 18 months ago, I think it's fairly unlikely they would ever go back to that journey because the business in itself is not that strong. There's a lot of com- competitors in the space. But then if you're just looking at the share price reset for Intuit or Microsoft, and Microsoft is down 30%, like, is Microsoft going to disappear? Has the competitive position of Microsoft Intuit being challenged by new competitors? No. But how do you explain the share price reset? That was a lot of that would have to do with interest rate going up because the interest rate has now gone up from almost like one one ish percent in 2021 to over four percent in the US in terms of the medium term expectation. And so if you factor that in, you can actually explain that. A very different example is like Tesla versus Nvidia. So for example, like Tesla, we would never buy it. We're still backing NVIDIA, it's in our top 10. But at one point, they were very close in terms of market cap. Uh, so Tesla peaked at about one over 1 trillion, and then NVIDIA peaked at about 850 billion, so very close. And now they're exactly at the same market cap, 350 billion. Tesla has gone down like 70, 80%. NVIDIA is a bit less, but it's still over just about 40, 50%. But then the chances of NVIDIA making it back to a trillion because of fundamentals of the company, because of AI, automation, 5G, a lot of uh, more semi uh, content in auto space. From our perspective, the long-term thesis remain intact. At that stage when NVIDIA was shooting the lights out and sort of getting to a $1 trillion company Mm -hmm. status, you know, didn't that concern you, even though you thought the fundamentals were solid? Surely the the valuation was just a bit ridiculous. I I think NVIDIA might be a difficult one because it, it, it it, it did go up very quickly in, in, the, in, in, in the second half of 2021. But then even if you look at Microsoft, which might be a fairer example, is I, I have a chart that I, I, I plotted like since we started the fund in 2017, September, until recently, that if you look at the share price, it's basically gone up, I think over 250% since that 2017 until now, despite the 30% resets from the peak as, uh, nine months ago. But then if you look at the underlying earnings profile of Microsoft, like using the Bloomberg consensus in the next coming 12 months or 24 months, it's done exactly the same thing. That has gone up 250%. So the shares is exactly reflected the underlying fundamentals. But of course, there was a period of time that the shares has de- the share price has detached from fundamentals very quickly and then now has been reset back to the fundamentals. Microsoft's most recent earnings, it was lower than analyst expectations. A bit, a few percent, but that's not of major concern, like because of a strong dollar. The one thing about Microsoft is like, we are less worried about Microsoft than let's say Alphabet or Google, for example. The only reason is because that the business model of Microsoft is high quality because a recurring revenue stream is subscription, like unless, you would have a company making massive round of redundancy or company going, up, going bankrupt. Then they would get impacted. Yeah. But of course, everything else would get impacted. There's no safe place. Like that would be like a very bad place to be. 
but it takes a long time for that to happen, and that might be like a cycle. Like when you go into recession, it's not like everyone just keep laying off people, right? Like you have certain industry to go into recession first, and then you have another industry to go into recession later, and then you might have company that went into recession early on and they got have recovery and all that stuff. So they are not totally immune. But then in contrast to Google and Alphabet, which is purely digital advertising, is you can just turn down your budget spend today. Like, I mean, Blue Well, we advertise on Google, for example, I'm sure everyone does. You can easily just turn down, like, oh, you, you were spending like a thousand pounds a day, you turn it down to 500. Oh, though the performance of the market is really bad, no one's gonna buy any funds, you turn it down to 100. And you can just do it instantly. But if you want to do a massive round of redundancy, it takes some time, there's some planning to do that. So, and they will still be getting paid. And then you might have got into a contract that would sign up have an Office 365 subscription for a year or two years. So even though that you have made the return, you can't do that. So, so the thing is like the, the spectrum of company in terms of quality now is very important. But no one is immune if the world is going to a depression. So it's interesting that you, you, you mentioned that you were reducing your stake in Adobe mm. before. And that's got a similar business model. It's always subscription-based, mo mostly for, for enterprise-level software. Why are you reducing Adobe, but you're, keep, you're keeping bullish on Microsoft? Everything is relative on a relative basis. The, the reason that we've been reducing our position Adobe, that was since Q2 last year. So you haven't seen Adobe being in our top 10 for the last nine months now, but it has been now in consistently on our top 10 since we started until Q2 2022. The reason we did that was because we were looking in, in terms of the transformation, the transition from traditional media spend to digital media spend in terms of the transition to monthly subscription model. Like so Adobe was the first one who who started a journey as a traditional business, software business in 2014-15. And then it's the same thing with Google that um, that when we invested in Google in 2017, the traditional media spend is about two thirds of the advertising budget and one third of that was in digital media spend. Five years later now that number has flipped, so now two-thirds of the advertising spend is in digital media, which is through Google, Twitter, Facebook, and all that, and one-third traditional media, right? So in terms of the, the tailwind for that transition to happen, to, to take place, it's no longer there, because, unless, because it's, it would be impossible for digital media spend to double again, because you're already 70% of the market, right? But when you're 30%, you double to 70 in five years, which is a lot of growth. And then secondly, when you look at the software transformation or transition within Adobe, is there now predominant of that business would be a subscription. It's purely subscription now. So then we were asking ourselves, like, what is the next leg of growth? But then unfortunately, in the meantime, despite Adobe is a good business, it's not going to disappear, it's just like Microsoft, is the end market is a lot more uncertain because you're talking about creative professionals, which is exactly what, why we're concerned about Google. Like if people are spending less money, if the conversion rate is a lot lower now because we could click on an ad advert, but we're not gonna complete the journey because we might not have the money. We've broadly been pretty, pretty negative on, on fangs recently. I mean, you now no longer have any of the, the traditional fangs in, in your portfolio, but is there gonna be a buying opportunity this year? I think it could be. I, I think you need to do it selectively. If you look at uh, Facebook or Meta, I think that it's completely broken in terms of the fundamentals of the company, unless you really believe that Facebook or Meta is going to be the leader in Metaverse and it's going to happen imminently, not in the next 
20 or 30 years, which might be too long, like they might not have the cash to fund it for so long, which we don't believe is going to happen, then the business model is a bit broken because then at, at the same time, the, the core business, the flagship business, Instagram and Facebook, they are under challenge uh, from TikTok, for example, like there's a lot more spending going to TikTok now. But then if you're talking about uh, Google Alphabet, I think at some point we would be interested if, the, if we are no longer in where we are now, which is the, the squeeze on consumer spending, the interest rate being very high, that we might be going into recession, like why would you be expo- want to be exposed to digital advertising if we come out from this, or it doesn't, it doesn't end up to be that um, challenging, then we could reconsider. Then, of course, we have to look at the valuation of Google, whether it's going to be attractive at the time that we consider it, but not today because I think the, the worst is yet to come. One company in, in your portfolio that seems very, very vulnerable to lowering consumer discretionary spend is Nintendo. Is that on your hit list for perhaps a reduction in your portfolio? Nintendo is, a, is an interesting one. So we have spent a lot of time debating on this concern because we are very conscious about the squeeze on consumer spending and when you are in, in the gaming space, which is Xbox, uh, PlayStation and Nintendo Switch, then, then that would come into play too. The, but the thing that we like about Nintendo, which we're still backing it, is because the games that they're rolling out seems to be continue to get traction. So they're making a lot more money now compared to before because they roll new games and, and, it's, and typically the, the margin is pretty high when you just do like a like an improvement on what you have rather than a completely revamp of a, of a game. And then secondly, we do think that at some point that could be like a, like a new generation a Switch that's going to come out, maybe a Switch Pro at some point. I think that's going to get the market quite excited. Nintendo is not completely immune, but then we're tracking the data quite closely. So if at some point that we started to see uh, some uh, deterioration in trends in terms of consumer not have money to play games but then the other way to argue that is if you don't have money to go go out with your friends I mean you might as well stay at home to play games it's a lot cheaper to spend $50 on a on a game you can play for hours well Stephen thanks so much for joining me today thank you Scottish Mortgage seeks out lateral thinkers like academics authors and experts in the industry to shape our investment ideas not the usual suspects and narrow mindset of financial analysts and investment industry commentators That way, we continue to build a portfolio that reflects real-world progress, not financial world noise. Scottish Mortgage is managed by Bailey Gifford. A key information document is available by visiting baileygifford.com. As with any investment, capital is at risk.